And while you're being seated, why don't you take your Bible, go to the book of James, chapter 4. This is one of those times that I need to clue you in ahead of time. We're going to get to James chapter 4, but it'll be a while. By the time we get there, the Cowboys will be behind. Well, they're always behind, so never mind with that. A number of years ago, I found myself in a movie theater listening to the words of a song that uh, I loved the song, I loved the way it was sung, uh, but it, uh, honestly, it, it did not connect. What I heard uh, and then what I had seen in that movie just didn't seem to fit. The words of the song as sung by Louis Armstrong sung at the end of the movie, Good Morning Vietnam. I see trees of green and red roses too. I see them bloom for me and you. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. That song in that movie sung as the events of that movie played out and it was anything but a wonderful world as portrayed there. The song goes on to say, I see skies of blue and clouds of white, the bright, blessed day, the dark, sacred night. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. And I heard that and I started reflecting. And through the years, I have reflected back. As much as I love the song, it just seems to be out of touch with reality. Third stanza, the colors of the rainbow so pretty in the sky are also on the faces of people going by. And I just have to tell you, apparently Louis Armstrong was running in different circles than I was because most of the people I meet don't have faces on their, I mean, smiles on their faces. The verse goes on, I see friends shaking hands saying, how do you do? But they're really saying, I love you. I think that maybe Louis was missing something. Or maybe I'm missing something. Because the world that I seem to see played out in front of me every day doesn't seem like a wonderful world. I know we could play it all up and we could be all optimistic instead of pessimistic, but let's be realistic and just watch the news headlines of this day and we will be hard-pressed to call it a wonderful world. Have you seen the news today? In Tehran, at the Saudi Arabian embassy, a group of crazed religious people attacked the Saudi Arabian embassy in response to the execution of a number of people, quite a few people, in Saudi Arabia over the last couple of days who were branded as terrorists, and one of those who had been executed was a cleric. And so the people of Iran, or at least some of the people of Tehran in Iran, are mad enough to firebomb the embassy there. And Louis says, what a wonderful world. I'm not so sure that he's on target with that most days. So this is now the fifth time that I have been here in front of you as we uh, have church going into the new year. Five times that I have stood here, or in this case sat here, and said to you in one way or another, please let me speak into your New Year's plans. 
Not so much the plans that you have to celebrate, but into the plans that you have as you go into a whole new year. Now, every year I get to this point, and it's not just here. It was also for the years that I was down the Rio Grande Valley. Every year I say something like this. Somebody comes at me and says, well, I don't make resolutions. Well, more power to you. That's fine. You have the right to not make resolutions if you want. And I'm going to respect that in you, but at least hear me out at this point. At least let's take stock of what's going on around us and make plans to try to improve that. Most of us look to New Year's resolutions and we want to improve us, and I'm good with that. And so we make these plans, resolutions, goals, whatever you call them. I'm going to run 10,000 miles this year. I haven't run in 10 years, but I'm going to run 10,000 this year because it seems like a good thing to do. I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to live there for 20 hours a day, lifting weights. I'm going to give up blue, but no, no, wouldn't do that. So let's spend a little time, and this is where I need to give you that heads up. The first half of this message is all going to be setting up the scripture. Okay, so we're going to get to James 4. But I want us to spend a little time challenging what Louis Armstrong said when he said, and I think to myself, what a wonderful world. It is by definition going to be negative, so hang in there. We'll get the better stuff on the end. But I want us to be honest and realistic about the world around us. And let's start with the big picture the international picture of what's going on around us because here's in a single word what's going on around us. There is division in our world today. I've already mentioned the Middle East stuff with the Saudi Arabian executions and the responses to that. And my strong suspicion is that as we go through the next couple of days, weeks even, we may see that that one event in Saudi Arabia will be like a wildfire sweeping across the Middle East with reactions to that. There is clearly division there. But let's push that back to us for a moment. And I don't want you to think that I am not a patriotic American because I am. I suspect there are very few people, if any, in this room that are more patriotic than I am. But here's one of the things that we really need to understand. When our patriotism overshadows our discipleship to Jesus Christ, we're in real danger. So let's be realistic about how we as American people have a thread that runs through our history that is by definition divisive. It has divided people groups. In 1840, or in the 1840s, mid-19th century, there was this perception, this attitude, if you will, that became prevalent in American society. It was about the time that Texas was... Uh, going through our revolution and the things that were going on there and the annexation and all of that. And in, in American history, we studied about America's manifest destiny. Uh, those, those are interesting terms for me when we start talking about division. The manifest destiny as it was laid out and seemed to have been embraced across the United States in those days was that the U.S. could and in fact was destined to stretch its society from the East Coast all the way to the West Coast. 
And so we had the building of the railroad that was transcontinental and we had settlers pushing westward and all of those kinds of things. And it was that sense. And again, we, it, we refer to it as our manifest destiny. But let's be honest, that as we pushed to that destiny, by definition, we had to do something with the people groups who were already here. And so our destiny was to conquer from coast to coast, which means that the American Indian was relegated to reservations because they didn't fit our destiny. We are divisive people. I'm not being anti-patriotic. I'm just being honest with you. These are some things that we should look at and recognize that on the big scale, we could not just go there. We could go to the Reagan doctrine and we could go to one policy after another through our history that essentially said we will conquer we don't use those terms we will conquer all in the name of who we are we're divisive it's part of who we are we see this clearly in our world today not so much about us but we see it in a different group called ISIS And how different is our world today strictly because of ISIS from the time that we were at January 1, 2015 to January 1, 2016? How different is our world because of ISIS? And the world now seems to be needing to rally together to address this group. And it emphasizes the division between people. We're going to find as we walk our way through this that division is just part of the human condition. Anywhere there are humans gathered together, there's division. So we move from that big wide scale and let's pull it in a little more onto the national scope of things. I told the early crowd, I am not a prophet. And in the spirit of Amos, the prophet of the Old Testament, I'll also say I'm not the son of a prophet. But I'm going to make a prediction that I think is money in the bank. Can a preacher talk? Preachers can't talk like that probably, right? Here's my prediction. In the year 2016, we will see America polarized at a new level because it is election season. And before we get to the election of November of 2016, we will find that there will be candidates from at least two parties who are going to rise up and say, you cannot trust those people. By definition, Americans are a divided lot. We're starting off 2016 that way. I can't imagine how bad it's going to be when we get to the end. Let me bring that home a little more. I will identify this one two-word situation in America today and it will clarify for you how divided we are as a people. Two words, you ready? Gun control. Now let me just make this comment, okay? Because I'm not exempt from the stuff I'm talking about. You know me well enough to know that uh, if you want a perfect preacher, you better look some more because you didn't find one. But I'm at least going to be transparent for you at this point. If you decide you want to control my guns and you're going to come after them, you better bring some help. 
Okay? I'm, I'm divided about that. I, I get that. If I said those words in a church somewhere else, I would probably be run out of town immediately because of that statement. You see how divided we are? But, but now what I'm trying to do now is pull this down for us to see that the reason that we're divided is because we stake our claim on positions and on policies, if you will, and we adopt them as our own, and we're willing to fight over those things. And I'm not saying that we should never fight. I'll come back to that in just a few minutes, but I just want to make sure that we're pulling this in and we're all wearing what's ours within this, and that is that we are divided. That's part of how we're put together. To be divided. I'll, let, me, let me do it this way. If the gun control thing didn't get you, maybe this one will. Instead of two words, I'll just use one word to emphasize again how divided we are as a country. You ready for the one word? Abortion. And when I say, now here's one of the things that we really need to get this. When I say those words as a pastor from the pulpit, there are those people in this church who would rally to the flag. Yes! Get them, preacher. But there are also people, probably people, and I don't know who's here, okay, so this, I don't have anybody in mind. I'm just playing the odds historically. There probably are also people sitting in a church congregation who have had abortions. And those people in our churches are immediately ostracized. So we need to be careful about this. Let's pull it off of the national level. You want me to give you another one? I'm going to pull off of it, but let me just, gay marriage. It's a little different in our landscape today than it was January the 1st, 2015, because the Supreme Court has said, this is now the law of the land. Now, I want to pull it back to the elections for just a second, because I'd like to frame what you're going to be hearing. I know you're smart enough to get this on your own, so don't suffer from that kind of delusion, but... Let me, let me just make sure that we're on the same page in framing this whole election thing. The golden, or I guess the way we said the brass ring of the election for president is who gets to appoint Supreme Court justices. And so you're going to hear that as we go forward. And the division in our country is going to play out in a national election that ultimately is about which side gets to call the shots. We're divided. Let's pull it down to the church level, though. What are the things that divide churches? Where do we find churches divided? I'll go to a friend of mine, actually a dear friend of mine, close friend of mine who was a pastor a number of years ago now. It would, actually, I would have to say many years ago now in central Louisiana. And he went into this church as pastor. He came from Texas, grew up in West Texas. So what's a West Texas boy doing in central Louisiana? And the answer is blowing up a church. And so he goes in and one of the first problems that he faces is he's got somebody in the church who is teaching false doctrine. And this particular false doctrine came out of a movement at the time that kind of originated on the West Coast, or as we like to say, the left coast. And so this teaching began to infiltrate into this small central Louisiana Baptist church. And my friend, the bulldog from West Texas, 
steps into that and he calls it what it is as pastor, as he should have, and he takes this person to task. You want to raise the ante on this a little bit? The person doing this teaching was the youth minister. And so now there is this division in the staff. Let me just raise the ante a little more. This person who was the youth minister was a young lady whose parents had founded that church. And she was the de facto staff member from the family who founded the church. Now, who do you think wins that battle? I'm not really so concerned about who won the battle as much as I am in emphasizing the reality that there are divisions that occur in the church. That same pastor friend of mine had a problem. This is just to highlight how bad these things can be. Had a problem with the music minister. And he chose a Sunday morning just before the choir was to file in. You know how old Baptist churches do it, right? File in the back and on to the deal and they met down in the basement. Uh, and so that pastor chose that moment to go in there and to quote him to verbally decapitate the song director. And then my pastor friend stood up in the pulpit and said, I won, let's worship. Does that sound like a church you want to go to? Hello, are y'all out there? Does that sound like a church you want to go to? All right, I, don't th- I didn't think so, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. So, let me really get personal with you. If you're not mad already, Here's your chance. Teresa and I were talking on the way to church this morning. I needed to get my facts straight. And if we understand the timing right, there's a little bit of murkiness in there. Given the way things are currently going, in 2016, it will be the third year running that in our immediate family, there has been a divorce. And just so you know, as far as I know, it's not me and her. Uh, yes, it is. Um, sound like division to you? See, the reality is that this whole division thing that is part of who we are has this nasty habit of worming its way into our close relationships. Is there anybody in your life right now that you're at odds with? Is there anybody as you go into this new year that is, well, if they walked into the room and came and sat down by you, you would everything within you would say, get up and move, go somewhere else. The chances are good that all of us have somebody kind of like that. Our propensity for division is strong. I remember riding around with my brother-in-law many, many years ago now. And I was on break from school, and so they had invited us to come stay with them. And uh, he let me do a ride-along with him. He was a sales and service guy, and so I did a ride-along with him through the countryside of North Texas. We spent the whole day with him telling me all the reasons why he felt like he might divorce his wife. 
And he did eventually. I, I, I think I have a pretty good idea why we have such a strong commitment to division. It's because of us. And, and we like to push it off on groups like ISIS and others. And just so you know, I'm not suggesting that we roll over. This is part that I told you I would come back to. I, I have a real problem with, with this young theology that I hear being pushed by uh, some of our younger and dumber theologians. You know why I call them dumber, right? Because I'm smarter than they are. You know that's a trap, right? Let me, let me just say it this way. The moment that you believe you're the smartest guy in the room, you prove that you're not. And so in this case, there, there are those who are coming up who are arguing for pacifism, that we should just roll over and throw up our hands and never fight. Um, maybe they are smarter than me, but that just sounds dumb to me. I, that doesn't even sound biblical to me. Paul would say, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I keep doing those things. In other words, Paul's saying, I'm divided in me. I don't even have to get to the next level out. This division problem is me. Let me put it to you this way. When you don't get your way, how do you respond to that? You see, my, uh, over the holidays... Our, both of our grandkids came to see us. Now, one of the reasons that I love the holiday season is because they come to an end and people go home. So it's, a great, it's a great thing. Especially if you have a six-month-old baby in the house. He's almost six-month-old. Now, let me tell you, I, I love my grandkids. Um, but my, my, speaking of the problems, now, Teresa and I have a problem here, and you just need to know that. I'm going to pull you in on it because you're going to take my side. And um, <laughs> somehow, Teresa, well, I need to give you the picture. Uh, my parents came down, and Brandon came up with Mackenzie for Christmas Day, and Brandon Mackenzie and John, my son-in-law, all left on Christmas Day to go home because uh, they had to work for a living. My other son, Colin, and his wife stayed for a week, and they left last Wednesday, and Lauren decided to stay for that same week with Declan, all right? So Declan is my grandson. He's about six months old. So they're staying at the house. Three women, me and Colin, and the three women decide, let's go shopping. Uh, that means that that leaves me and Colin babysitting my six-month-old grandson. You know What's wrong with that? Everything's wrong with that. You know me. You know that can't be a good idea. So here's the deal. They leave. Lauren has put Declan down for a nap. Ten minutes after they walk out the door, he's screaming. So now I have this dilemma because I have gone for 40, no, not quite 40, probably let's say 30 plus years without changing a diaper. That's on purpose. That's not an accident. <laughs> Ten minutes after they leave, my grandson throwing a fit. Now, my son, Colin, he's clueless. 
Now, he can do great things with a basketball. He doesn't know babies, right? So I'm the expert all of a sudden. I look at my son. I say, well, he turned out all right. Maybe I can do this. So I go to the back room where Declan is, and I decide I've got to change his diaper. Oh, my goodness, what I've missed in all that time. But that smart aleck little kid, he kept crying after I changed his diaper. And so what do you do with the crying baby? You stick a bottle in his mouth. That's what I did. And he drank the whole bottle, and then he started crying some more. They'd been gone 25 minutes. (laughs) And I'm thinking, I don't know how we're going to do this. And somewhere in there, I decided my grandson is kin to... um, She just said his grandfather. Uh, So he's throwing a fit. Now, nobody had to teach him to do that. You know why he did that? Because he's just like me, and he's just like you. And when things aren't going his way, he's going to throw a fit. Now, by the time we get to be adults, we refine down our fit throwing. But we throw fits nonetheless. So let's see what James has to say. In case you think I'm full of bad news, just wait till you read James. Because by this time, James is now beginning to dive to the finish line, but he is not going to ease up as he gets there. And so in James chapter 4, we're going to start reading in verse 1 here in just a second, just the first two verses for now, Spencer, is what we're going to do. But I want to throw you back just a second because what we've been studying here as we've worked our way through is the last part of chapter 3. James has been emphasizing a person who lives in wisdom. And in verse 17, he talks about the wisdom that comes from above and listen to these words and see if they sound like a divisive person. But the wisdom from above is first pure and then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. In other words, James says to live with the wisdom that only God can give makes you a peaceable kind of person. You do well with others. We might say he plays well with others. So James picks up on that. And he says in verse 1 of chapter 4, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? The division that we just talked about. And by the way, the words that he uses here are words of war. One of those two words, the one that we translate quarrels, is a word that means a campaign. Not just a single battle, but a series of battles. Sound like a lot of churches to you? The next word talks about individual battles. So he lumps them together and then later he's going to flip them and use them in reverse order. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? He's going to answer his own question. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Another interesting word, this word passion translates as an ism in our language. You know, isms are like communism and imperialism and those kind of isms. This is the word hedonism. 
which is, to boil it down philosophically, hedonism is that approach to life that says pleasure is king and you should do anything and everything in your life to experience pleasure. That's the word he uses. Is it not the fact that you're driven to pleasure? In other words, we might put it in our context and say that when somebody gets in the way of my pleasure, we're divided. That's the mentality that causes people to march in our streets in the name of their pleasure. Let me just say, that what he really is boiling it down to is that the reason we're divided is because we're selfish. That's really the bottom line here. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. Now, we, most of us are not going to go out and kill somebody, but we don't mind doing character assassination with the way we talk about them because they get in the way of our pleasure. They make me mad. They don't like them. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. If that was true of the first century church, this is the earliest point of church history that we find being written into. And it was true then, and church history is littered with division and the remnants of churches and denominations, if you will, who just chose not to get along. If it was true in the first century and it's been true every century since, chances are good that it's going to be something that we struggle with today. So what causes divisions in churches today? What might cause this church to be divided? There are places, to quote Doyle Young, there are places where you draw a line in the sand and you take a stand and you fight and you die if necessary. He went on to say, don't draw the line in stupid places. I think I'll modify that to say, don't draw the line in selfish places. So if that's the reality, what's the solution? We work our way all the way through down to verse 7, and I'm not going to read all of that today in the interest of time. But here's what James says. The solution to division that is caused by selfishness, he says, submit yourself, therefore, to God. In other words, to adopt the language of last Sunday in our Lord's Supper service, the solution to division based in selfishness is that you die. You know, you can bury, let's go to old school. Bloods and Crips or whatever. Maybe we go to the motorcycle gang shootout they had in Waco. That's where I went to school, my people. Uh, (laughs) Go to the motorcycle gang shootout they had in Waco last year. You know those guys who died in that? I'm assuming some died. You could take a gang member who died from one gang and a gang member who died from the other gang and bury them right next to each other and they will get along for eternity. You know why? Because dead men don't fight for their rights. And in Jesus' own words, 
If any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. That's an instrument of death. And follow me. Dead men don't fight for their rights. In this case, dead men follow their Lord. I'm intrigued with this whole separation and division thing because it is rampant in our society. And if we don't get it straight in America, America will die. It it will be one of the great nations of past history if we don't get it right. Maybe the place that should start is in church where we decide because we have died to self and all the things that we want in favor of what Jesus wants. Maybe that might push out of the doors of this church into this community and our community would be different and even beyond that. But you see, that won't ever happen until each of us individually say, you know what, I have to make that choice. I need to die to myself. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. When my son, Brandon, was, I don't know, four or five years old, maybe something like that, he started having nightmares. Um, and then it was one of those times in our lives where things were kind of up in turmoil. We were, I was going to school in a long, long process, and Brandon started having these nightmares, and, and so he started talking about monsters. In case you have young ears and you're in here, there are no such thing as monsters. Monsters. Um, but Brandon wouldn't hear that. And so, I think it was his mother. It might have been me. I give myself credit. Let's say I did it. Okay. So, um, we decided to give him a monster stick. You know what a monster stick looks like? It looks exactly like a crutch, like what you used to walk with, because I happened to have an extra one around at the time. And he didn't know that. I just said, this is a monster stick. We put it under his bed. And I said, anytime in the middle of the night, you start feeling like, you know, you're scared or whatever, just reach down there and grab that monster stick. You know what? Fixed it like that for him. So I entitled this message today, The Monster Within. That is within each of us. The monster that says, I'm going to have it my way. It will go the way I want it to go. And if it divides me and you, so be it. We might say, in favor of cruciform living, as we talked about last week, living in the shape of the cross, we might say that the ultimate monster stick is the cross. And when we start letting that monster inside of us that is selfish and says, I'll have it my way, the best thing we can do is turn to the cross and embrace it and die to self for the good of the kingdom of God. So how is it with you today? Are you living for yourself? You know one of the best ways to check that out? Look at the relationships around you and see who's fed up with you or with whom you're fed up. How is it with you? As you go into the new year, if you want to make one resolution that will impact everything you do, 
resolve to die to self every day. Let's pray. As we come to this invitation time, here's my invitation to you. Embrace the cross. If that means in your life that you never come to the point that you accepted Christ as your Savior and you need to do that, that is the necessary first step to life. If you need to do that, then why would you not do that today? Why would you put that off? That's where life begins. If you know Christ is your Savior, but you hear these words and you walk through it and you look at your life and you know that there are places where there's some division there. Maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a family member. Maybe some of you walked in here and your marriage is on its last leg and you know it. And now you know that it's because both of you are being selfish in one way or another. Why would you not fix that? Maybe your choice is to come and join this church. I'm going to worship here. This is where I'm going to be. Whatever, whatever it is that God is dealing with you that you need to do, now's the time to do it. So we invite you to come.